0: Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen. You can have a seat today and get your Bible and go to to Acts chapter number 8. This is the story of us for continuing our series in the book of Acts called The Story of Us. This is not just history lessons for us to learn about. This is our story and this is our life. We are the church. And as we look at these stories, we realize that they're not just a history lesson from a past day, but that these are things that we're encountering and experiencing today. These are things that we're going to have to deal with, things that we're going to have to grapple with, and they're not always easy, and they're not always fun. Today's message is called The Power of God. Somebody shout at me, The Power of God online, why don't you type that in all bold caps, put that in there in the comments section, the power of God, because we need to understand that you're going to see the power of God in the Bible, but also remember, this is the story of us. We need the power of God in our lives. Somebody ought to say a better amen than that. We need the power of God in our lives. Acts chapter 8, verse number 9. Remember, Philip went down to Samaria, and he had a one-word message. He preached Christ to them, and the people were saved, and the people were baptized. We continue this story in Acts chapter 8, verse number 9. I'm going to read down through verse number 13 to start us off. It says, but there was a certain man called Simon. Not Simon Peter. No, this is a different Simon. Simon, who previously practiced sorcery. The original word could also say magic. In the city, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. Now, in the Bible, you will find that there are sorcerers, that there are magicians, soothsayers, necromancers, people who spoke to the dead, that sort of a thing. They're working with demonic spirits, oftentimes. I reached out to a Christian illusionist who attends this church named Joshua Jordan, and I asked him your thoughts on this. Josh, would you just tell me your thoughts about this? And he sent me a long email about this. And he said he personally has studied what's called magic and illusion, that sort of thing, sleight of hand and tricks and, you know, predictions, that sort of a thing. Even the people who are calling themselves mentalists now, saying that they're reading minds. And from what he's seen and from what he's studied and from what he's been around, he says he has never actually seen a genuine magic display. There's never been anything that he's been around, anything that he's seen, and he's seen a lot over his years of studying this, that has actually been black magic or sorcery and that sort of a thing in the terms that we think of as being real. He says, everything that you're going to see on TV and everything that you're going to be around uh, that, that you're exposed to and, and those sorts of things, the street magicians and these people that think that are claimed to be some people bending spoons with their minds, all that kind of stuff, he says, all of that has been exposed. All of that has an explanation. All of that is sleight of hand and tricks, uh, you know, mystery. Direction and and different things like that. Even the mentalists, even the people that are predicting what you're thinking or supposedly reading your thoughts are at best giving educated guesses at what you're going to say with scary accuracy. Now, I would take that a step further and say that many of these people that are not born of the Spirit of God have another spirit whispering in their ear and they don't even realize it. Now, the reason why those predictions are so scary and so accurate is because demons are invisible and they can see what is going on in the natural realm. And they understand human behavior and they understand where our eyes are going and the different things. They've studied human behavior for thousands of years. And they know the word of God probably better than most of us know it. Although we have the Spirit of God, so we'll know it better than they will ever know it. Somebody ought to say amen to that. But as far as memorization and understanding the principles, those sorts of things, they probably have more Scripture memorized and probably have more understanding about those things and the principles. So when they look at human behavior, they understand and are able to predict and whisper that thought because we know that demons can throw thoughts into the hearts of men and the minds of men. Right? those firebrands of the enemy that we're supposed to raise up the shield of faith against. They can put suggestions and hints into the heart of man. And so in the same way, we see that. And that's why uh, oftentimes when you have somebody who claims to be a fortune teller and they're telling you about your life, where are they getting that information? Well, they could be getting it from the Internet. Come on, somebody, your whole life is on there, so of course they know who your best friend is, and of course they know what you ate for lunch and that sort of thing because you're posting everything online, all right? And so they could be doing that, but also could it be that a demon who's been watching your activity that gave you the suggestion to go to that fortune teller all of a sudden now is whispering to the fortune teller things that would be personal and private about your life, and when you start wanting to talk to the dead, it's a demon talking to you that studied their life as well. Wow. Wow. And the Bible tells us that in the last days that the work of the Antichrist will be with all sorts of lying signs and wonders, deceiving the elect if that could be even possible. And we need to be wise enough to realize that magic, sleight of hand, all that kind of stuff, tricks, those are lying signs and wonders. Whether the sign itself is a trick or a, a misdirection or just a prediction, that sort of thing, or whether it's an actual supernatural working of power that lies and takes you off of Jesus Christ, that we need to keep our hearts in the right place. We need to keep our hearts and our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to say amen. Because this man who was a sorcerer claimed to be someone great, verse 10, to whom they all gave heed. Notice they gave heed to him. What does that mean? They gave their attention. They, they looked at what he did. They, they watched and they listened to what he said. From the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Now, oftentimes being so separated from these times and these seasons, we could read that and think, oh, well, they're talking about another God they're talking about someone else. But in the Greek, the same word that they use for God is the same word that the apostles use for God, theos. They're saying that this man, remember these are Samaritans, they're half Jew and, and half Assyrian. And that half Jew knew the name of God and they're saying that this man is the great power of the one true God. See, This man was claiming to be someone great and he was using sorcery and magic to get people's attention and he was claiming, I am great, look at me, look at what I'm doing and then he would astonish them and they would say, this man is the great power of God. See, they got their attention and their eyes on man rather than on God. But look at what it says. Verse number 11. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, that one word sermon that we talked about last week, both men and women were baptized. In other words, they heeded Simon, the magician, but they believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that made all the difference. They didn't just sit and give attention and say, this man is something great. No, they actually put their heart and life into it, and they were baptized. They made a decision, and their decision followed their action of being baptized. You understand? There was something greater. There was something more that they were putting their hearts into. It was genuine, and it was real. Verse number 13, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. This guy joined the church. He was baptized, he believed, and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, I think it should be notable that a magician who claimed to be someone great, who knew the tricks of the trade, who astonished the people, was actually amazed at the miracles and signs which were done that were genuine. He was in awe. And he continued with the church. See, this man had claimed to be someone great and something great. And the people called him the great power of God. But now the real power of God and the gospel shows up. And they were captivated by Simon because of the sorceries or magic he performed. But now they actually believe and are baptized because they hear the message and they see the signs following it. That shows me something. That shows me that the power of God is not a man or magic, but the message of Jesus Christ. That is the power of God. That is the genuine power of God. Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile. In other words, this is for everybody, and it starts with the Jew, but then it works its way out into the world. And this is the power of God. This is the real power of God. See, the the signs and wonders follow the message. The message doesn't follow the sign and the wonder. This magician captivated people, and he said, hey, look at me, I'm great. But Philip said, hey, look at Jesus, he's great. And they said, he is? Oh, yeah, watch this. And then the miracles followed. Why? Because that's the real power, and that's where we need to understand that the power of God is not a man or magic, but it is the message of Jesus Christ. The signs and the wonders that happen are genuine, they are real, they are supernatural working of God's power, but they follow the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen, amen, amen. I'll give give the preacher amen there. I don't know, maybe you online are amen, and I just can't hear you from so many miles away. Praise God. Acts chapter 8, verse number 14 goes on and says this, Acts chapter 8, verse 14, we're going to read down through verse number 17. It says, now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem, remember, they, they stayed at Jerusalem. When the apostles were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, notice the apostles, Peter and John weren't lording over the people. Peter wasn't lording over them. You know, everybody needs to listen to me. I preached the first sermon. You guys better bow down. None of that kind of stuff, right? What happened? They were all in unity and in community of believers. They were all one in the Lord. They were one together, and the apostles in the apostolic authority now gathered together, and they said, hey, did you hear what happened in Samaria? Remember when we preached there? Yeah, I remember. I remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well. I remember how the whole city showed up. Remember how they rejected us, and you guys wanted to call down fire on them? Yeah, I remember that too. But now here they are, and they say, wait a second. Philip, you remember Philip? Yeah, the table waiter? Yeah, yeah, good guy. I know that guy. Man, he went down to Samaria. He preached Christ to him. What happened? They all believed they're getting baptized. Whoa, what should we do? Peter, you and John, why don't you guys go down there? Check it out. This is significant. This is significant because I believe that God is saying something. I believe that God is doing something. Remember we talked about Samaria being the bridge that this is the halfway point because these were halfway people. These were people who were half breeds, right? They were part Jew and they were part Gentile. They were a mixture But they still had the Jewish heritage, and because the gospel goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, God is creating a bridge there with these halfway people. And so Peter and John, the the leaders of the, the church under the apostolic authority, are sent down to Samaria to show that the Jerusalem church approves of the Samaritan church. God is creating unity in the body of Christ and he's showing that they're no different because the the gospel has been given to them and they've received it by faith. But they were still lacking something because look at what it says, who when they had come, verse 15 down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now I think it's significant that they didn't preach to them. They didn't lord over them and say, "I'm, I'm glad you guys finally came around, now listen to us. They didn't, no, what did they do? They humbled themselves and they served the people. And they prayed for the people. Prayed what? That they would receive the Holy Spirit. Now, stop right there. They'd been saved. They believed the message of the gospel. They'd been baptized. Didn't they have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. At the moment of salvation, you are born again and you receive the Spirit of God to live on the inside of you. But remember, just like the apostles who, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus then told them, I want you to tarry. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high and the gift of God in the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. There was a different experience that they waited for, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit showed up. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they went out, and they were a greater witness. They had greater understanding of the Word. They had a greater washing of the love of God flowing in and through their lives. They had the power of God available to them. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So these were believers, they had received the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of them, but they had yet to receive the baptism, that that falling upon them, that, that Holy Spirit flow, that Holy Spirit power in their lives. And so they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're saying, God, if they're no different in salvation, they should be no different in experiencing the power of God. Verse number 16. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, all throughout the book of Acts, you're going to find different ways that this same term is being used. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit falling upon them. Okay, there's different terms. Here it says the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. I love that word following. In the original language, it's a picture of somebody falling into the arms of God and God wrapping his arms, his strong arms around them and holding on to them and guiding them and taking them to a place. I love that picture. Can you imagine? Here you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I in you, but also you in me. He says, Abide in my love, and my love will abide in you, and I and the Father will come to you and make our home in you. So we've got God on the inside, but we also need to be on the inside of God and so it pictures us that as we're saved that we get God on the inside of us but now we need God falling upon us that God grabs a hold of our lives seizes us and starts to move in our lives that's the power of the Holy Spirit that they were asking God to come and to fall upon the people but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus look at this verse 17 then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit they, laid hand, they prayed first. They asked God, God, would you give them this same gift that you've given us? Would you come and fall, God? Would you come in and do them with power? And then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. That shows me, church, that it's not enough just to get saved. It's not enough for a, a believer. I mean, you can live this way, and many Christians do. Even I lived this way for a long period of my Christian life. Where we get saved and we start to learn about God and we're excited and we get water baptized and we tell other people about Jesus, but we don't live in the power filled life of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's doing. We need the Holy Spirit baptism. We need the Holy Spirit's filling. We need the Holy Spirit to fall on our lives, to wrap his arms around us and to take control. I remember in my life, I got saved at age. Fifteen, And I had a born again experience, if you will. Now, now, that doesn't mean that those of you who didn't have this experience didn't have a born again experience. But I know for me, there was something tangible about it. You know, sometimes people pray and it's like, what happened? Did it take, you know, did, did it really work? Am I saved? You know, and, and it's that walk of faith. But when I actually gave my heart and my life to the Lord, I prayed one night in the middle of the night. I was miserable, I remember. My brother had just come back from a missions trip, and he was lit up in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was just going for it. And so I was like, man, I, I want that. And I was miserable because I was raised in church, thought I was a Christian, had sung in, in, in the, the youth group, you know, singing songs to God and all that. Like I said, not saved, though. Not saved. I thought because God answered prayers in my life and did things around me and that sort of thing that I was a Christian because my family was a Christian. I was kind of like our altar call, you know what I mean? And so here I was living this life and yet thinking I was a Christian but was dead inside. And so I realized my need and that night I, I you know, went to bed with my clothes on and my brother gave me a gospel tract that he had, uh, you know, shared around Europe when he went on his missions trip. And so I pulled that gospel tract out and I realized that I needed to surrender my heart and my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I had heard the gospel and realized that I'd come up wanting So in the middle of the night there, not knowing, but now knowing what was going on, the Spirit of God was in that room, and He was hovering over my bed, and He was wooing me and drawing me to Himself, and I woke up at that Spirit's presence and at that Spirit's wing, not knowing even what it was at the time. And I reached my hand in my pocket to empty my pockets and get changed for bed, and I found that track that I realized I need to get saved I need to give my heart and life to the Lord and I prayed and I asked God to come into my life to save me in my sin and to make me brand new now I went to bed that night and I had a great night's sleep but the next morning I woke up and it was like everything was changed you know the sunlight coming through the window was brighter the birds were just chirping louder Uh, my my, my steps just somehow felt lighter I looked outside the window and even the smog seemed to sparkle in the distance you know what I'm saying it was just like something was different something was new I I was new I was different And because of that, because of the change in me, I saw the change all around me. And I lived a great life. I studied the Word. I had a great pastor who actually attends this church. He's a wonderful man of God, and I'm so blessed to have him here. And he taught us the Word of God uncompromisingly. And we were taught the whole counsel of God, and yet we did not experience the whole counsel of God. See, we were taught that the miracles and signs could happen, but we weren't actually experiencing them. I had a mental acknowledgement that, yeah, if God wants to heal somebody, he could heal somebody. But I'd never seen God heal somebody. I had a mental acknowledgement that, yeah, people can speak in tongues, people can prophesy, but I'd never experienced those things. Maybe at a limited capacity I did. But I had not experienced them, and personally, I did not have them in my life. And so I lived for five years that way until I came to this crazy, non-denominational, kind of Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, you know, Bible-believing church called The Rock, Christian center at the time. And the youth pastor at the time, Eddie O'Gara, prayed for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I remember, man, I wanted it. I was going after it. I was like, okay, God, if this is something that I need in my life, then I need it. Give it to me, God. And so I was there in this room, and people were praying in tongues, and it was just crazy. And I was like, I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? This little conservative church boy who'd been raised in the Baptist and the Presbyterian and, you know, all that, the evangelical free churches. And so I was like, I'm out. You know, I can't even hear God in the middle of all this noise. And so I walked outside, and Pastor Eddie and some of the team followed me outside and said, what's going? on, man. I said, I want God. I don't want all that madness. And he said, well, listen, you're, you're wise. You're like the, the disciples tearing. You need to wait for the power. And I said, well, I don't want to wait any longer. Just pray for me right now, pastor. And so he laid hands on me, and he prayed for me, and I was like, mm. Did it work? Did it take kind of like some of those people with their salvation experience, right? Did it, did it really happen? You know, I'm like... Did I get the Holy Spirit? Is he, is he in there? You know, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where he's at. You know, what's going on? And they said, speak in tongues. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And they said, do you got a word? And I had a word, but it was like an old Hebrew word. And I thought I probably just conjured that up myself. That was me. That wasn't the Holy Ghost. You know, if it was the Holy Ghost, he would have taken my mouth and opened it up and down and done this to me and made me speak. And it just, it wasn't working. And so they told me, just keep speaking that word. Just keep speaking that word. So I kept speaking that word. Kept speaking that word. Nothing happened. Right? Didn't feel the goosebumps. Didn't get the the you know the fire. Nothing happened. I wasn't any tingling or electricity or anything that some people have said that they've experienced. I just was sitting there with one word going. This is stupid. And I guess it's not for me. So I went off on my way. And uh, at the time I was dating this beautiful young lady named Jessica Cobray. Her name is now Jessica Roth. And uh, she's a fireball. You know what I'm saying? Like she is. That woman is full of the Holy Ghost. And she's lived her life this way, and she's experienced the presence of God and experienced the things of the Spirit. And so we were chatting one night at her apartment, and we were talking and having a good conversation. And she's saying, so did you, did you get your whole prayer language, did you get more than that word? And I said, nah, it's all good. You know, I'm fine. And she's like, What? You know what I mean? Like, you're fine. No, you're not. You need this. And I'm like, Nah, I'm good. You know, it's, it's all right. It's not for me. It's, you know, God gives severally as he wills. Apparently, he didn't will for me to have it, you know? And so I was like, it's all good, you know? But it's fine. You know, we're, we're awesome. We're, we're wonderful. It's, it, God is still good, you know? I, I, I got it, I guess, but, you know, I didn't get that. And so she's like, mm-hmm, all right, Okay. So I left that night. I was driving home. I was just happy to be with my girlfriend at the time and happy to be praising God. Little did I know she was at home and she was just angry. And she's like, God, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you light him up in that car right home. So he he didn't even know what hit him, God. So I'm driving through Richie Canyon coming home to Mobile. You know what I'm saying? Any Mobile people in the place, any Mobile people online? All right, y'all my people, right? So I'm driving home through Ritchie Canyon and waving at the donkeys as I go by and all that kind of stuff, El Burros, and uh, we're going by, and I'm just praising God and just praising the Lord in, in song and praising the Lord in English, and all of a sudden, I'm praising the Lord in an unknown language. I'm just praising the Lord in tongues, and I'm going, whoa, what is this? Didn't even realize when it happened. Didn't even realize, you know, maybe it was when I crossed the San Bernardino-Riverside County border that all of a sudden, I got full of the Holy Ghost for some reason. I don't know what happens, but... I was just filled it was just flowing you know what I mean and it was different it was amazing and so I got home and you know this is before cell phones that sort of thing so I got to the home and I picked up the phone and I dialed the number and I called her and I said hey you'll never guess what happened and she's like "Hmm, I'll never guess well smarty pants thinks she knows it all but that was my experience see I needed the power of the Holy Spirit Since then, God has revealed things to me His Word because the Spirit has just been speaking to me. Why? Because He's on me. The gifts of God that have been in me have been pulled out of me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is on me. I've been able to pray for people and see them get healed and the power of God has worked. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is upon me and and in me and working through me and I've been baptized in that fire. I've been able to pray when I don't know what to pray because now I have a prayer language that's a gift that's been given to me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is upon me. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and it is a distinct experience for every believer the apostle said this is for you and for your children and for those who are far off these gifts did not die with the last apostle and the apostles aren't the only one who can pray for this peter was preaching the gospel and sometimes people say well you got to get saved first then you got to get the holy ghost someone has to lay hands on you listen don't make a doctrine out of one scripture Look at the whole counsel of the word of God because in the book of Acts you'll find, we're going to get there, Peter, when he's preaching to Cornelius, he's preaching the gospel to them. They apparently get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time because all of a sudden they start prophesying and speaking in tongues. And Peter goes, whoa, wait a second. I guess if they get the, the gift of the Holy Ghost, what's stopping them from getting baptized in water? See, they flip the experience. And so for all of us, we need to understand that, yes, they can happen at the same time, but they are two beautiful and wonderful expressions, our salvation and our being endued with power from the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's power. We need the Holy Spirit to take control. Sometimes we have a problem with that control. We have a problem with that word control because we want to be in control. We want to be the ones to decide. We want to be the ones to govern. But you can can either have self-control or you can have God control. And who do you want driving your life? I want God control, right? Because I've messed things up enough. I need God to take. Jesus, take the wheel! Control meaning determining behavior and activities. The Holy Spirit is God. I should have had a great big amen on that one. Come on, do you guys not study your Bible? Do you not study your word? This is the person of the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of Christ coming to us. This is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God. This is God coming to us in his spirit form, living on the inside. When the Holy Spirit speaks and tells you what to do and how to do it, he's speaking not of his own authority, but the authority of the Father. This is God speaking to you. He governs the activities and the actions of the believers. That's what the control means, determining your behaviors, maintaining influence and authority, emboldening and giving wisdom and gifts, operating in the love of God. He will wash you with the love of God where you wanted to slap somebody before. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you want to love them, and you feel for them, and you're ready to work with them. Be long-suffering, patient, and kind. But also the Holy Spirit will convict of sin, He will restrict and limit behaviors. You've been walking into a a mess and the Holy Spirit said, "Mm -mm -mm." come on, that's your conscience. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you from the voice of your conscience. He's telling you, "No, that's not behavior that lines up with the word of God. The Bible says he will remind you of all things that Jesus has spoken. Guide you in all truth. He will show you things to come. He will warn you when things are happening that are bad. Doesn't mean you're not gonna go through them. Just means, hey, get ready. Brace for impact, Right? He will speak to you, and he will guide you, and he will govern. He will direct. He will empower. He will spread the love of God. Oh my goodness, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. You can have God's control or you can have your own control. You choose. Simon, the story of Simon the magician is not done yet. Take a look at it with me in Acts chapter 8, verse number 18 through verse 25. Let's see what kind of control he chose. Verse number 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money. Verse 19, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. See, this magician goes back. He backslides, goes back to his old ways. He'd seen a lot of tricks. He'd seen a lot of things happen. But he'd never seen the power of the Holy Spirit come upon somebody. And apparently the magician was so impressed by the visual and audible display of power that happened when the apostles laid their hands on people that he wanted to buy the trick. Now hopefully that offended a lot of you in this place, what I just said. Because can I tell you something? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a trick. It's not sleight of hand It's not a setup, it's not misdirection, it's not black magic or sorcery. This is the genuine power of God and the Holy Spirit, the person of God, falling upon somebody and taking control. You cannot buy with money the power of the Holy Spirit or the authority to lay hands. You cannot take control. See, when the Holy Spirit comes in genuine power, men don't get the glory, God gets the glory. Peter is just as offended as we are by that statement. Look at what he says in verse number 20. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you. I love how Eugene Peterson and J.B. Phillips both uh, paraphrase this verse, to hell with you and your money. It's essentially what they, they, they put it in there. And that's essentially what Peter is saying. Because that word perish is destruction. Speaking of the same destruction that we read about in Hades or in hell. Your money perished with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. Verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. See, guys, this is a heart matter. I didn't have the right heart when I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit. I received it. It took. But my heart wasn't ready to receive the gifts that God had for me. It took me a period of time before God knew I was ready for it. I had to have the right heart. But this man had neither part nor portion. Thank God he's merciful. Thank God he's gracious. Thank God he's long-suffering and kind. Notice that Simon doesn't fall down dead before the apostles' feet like Ananias and Sapphira did. But look at what it goes on to say. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Verse 22, repent therefore of this, your wickedness. Now we don't understand that word repent because that seems to be a dirty word in church these days. But can I teach you guys some things about some good old gospel Bible preaching and teaching? Can I teach you something out of the word of God that every single believer needs to know this definition? Repentance is not a dirty word. Repentance is not a one-time thing that you do at salvation. No, repentance is something that is a part of every believer's life. That when I'm going the wrong direction, When I've got my heart set in the wrong course, that I have a change of heart and mind, and I willfully turn from my direction 180 degrees and I go God's direction, that is biblical repentance. (laughs) Plain and simple. And we all need that because the Bible says we all stumble in many things, don't we? We all mess up. You're going to mess up as a Christian. Listen, don't get in guilt and shame and condemnation. Repent. Have a change of heart. Have a change of mind. Have a tender heart, so tender that you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you're going the wrong direction. Turn around. And when you hear that voice, ooh, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And so you turn. You repent. Change your heart. Change your mind. And go God's direction. So Peter says, I want you to repent. And then it goes on. And look what he says. Of this your wickedness. And pray. God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? If? Isn't God merciful? Isn't God gracious? Isn't God compassionate and kind? What do you mean, if, Peter? Why would you say, if? Well, let's look at the next verse. Verse 23. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. In other words, Peter had a discerning of spirits at this moment. The gift of God is given to Peter to be able to see beyond the natural into the heart of man. And he discerned by the Spirit of God that this man was poisoned. The well was poisoned. Even though he had received salvation, had been baptized, his well was poisoned. Something had gone on. Maybe it was something in his past that happened to him. Maybe it was a past thing that took place with the Jews. Remember, they're in Samaria might have been a past hurt or something that he never got over. And so rather than deal with that hurt under the power of God, rather than forgive and move forward with God, what did he do? He started to deceive. He started to trick. And he started to gather people to himself. And now all of a sudden, that root, that bitter root, that poison the well is on the inside of him springing up once again. Peter says, repent and pray, therefore, if you might be forgiven. But he says, but I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. And look at this, and bound by iniquity. Bound by iniquity. Wickedness and iniquity are words that we don't often understand. We know sin is missing the mark, right? I was aiming, I was trying, or maybe you were just going to. But iniquity is a willful stepping across the line. And wickedness is when you know that you're going into something that you shouldn't be doing and you continue on that course anyways and you continue doing it. You are bound By iniquity. You're you're going to cross that line because you're not wrapped up in the Holy Spirit. Remember, he didn't ask Peter, lay hands on me that I may receive the Holy Spirit. Hello? He should have been asking for the gift himself. But rather than asking for the gift himself, he asked for the authority and the power to give other people the gift so that he can be seen as something. And offered money for it because he thought he could make money by it. Listen, the gospel is free. The gift is free. God gives graciously to all. He says, come and buy without money. Come and receive. To all who are thirsty, let them come and drink. To anybody who wants to eat, let them come and dine at my table. See, this invitation is open. It's not pandering the gospel for profits. We're not lining our pockets. This this is free. You want to come to church? You want to get the word of God? You want to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Come and receive. It's all here for you. Verse 24, Simon reveals his heart, and he answered, and he says, Pray to the Lord for me. Wait a second. Peter said, you pray, and you repent. But what does he do? He turns it back around on Peter. He's got the wrong idea still. He's bound. Pray to the Lord for me. Pray to the Lord for me what? That that I should repent? That that I should get rid of the bitterness? That I should not be bound any longer? That I can be free? No, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you've spoken may come upon me. Pray that nothing bad happens. I messed up. Pastor, you pray. I hear this all the time in church. Pastor, you pray. Pray what? Pray for me. Okay, I'd love to pray for you. What am I praying for? Pray that nothing bad happens to me. Well, why are we praying that? You know what I mean? All of a sudden, the discerning of spirits is coming in. What are we talking about, Willis? Right? Well, I'm living with my significant other, and I don't want anything bad to happen. I can't pray for that. I'm sorry. You've got to repent. Repent. And you should pray. Pray for me because I want to keep doing drugs, but I don't want anything bad to happen. No, 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 no. Not gonna pray. Sorry. Pray for me because you know I got this business deal, and you know it's under the table, and it's you know no one needs to know about it. But I, we're gonna make a lot of profit, get a lot of money to the church. Listen, your money die with you. To hell with that money. We don't need it. We don't need it. You keep it. See. You pray for me, Pastor. Why? Because I believe your prayers are more powerful than my prayers. My prayers are no more powerful than your prayers. Pastor, come to my house and kick the devil out of my house. I'm not doing it, guys. I will not go to someone else's house and pray that the devil gets out of their house. Why? Because I'm not the authority in that house. I'm the authority in this house. I'm the senior pastor here. And when I go home to my house, I kick the devil out of my house when he comes around, sniffing around, trying to come against my family, my children. My belongings, I'll kick them out of my house. But listen, in your house, if you are the authority, then you kick the devil out of your house. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God. You have Jesus Christ on the inside of you. You anoint your house with oil. You pray, devil, get out. You open the door and say, devil, see your way out. And let me kick you on your way out and slam the door on him. You have the authority. I don't have the authority. Your prayers in your house are more powerful than mine. Not coming to your house, not praying for your house, not kicking the devil out of your house. I'll pray for you, but I can't pray for you. Did you catch that? I will pray for you, but I cannot pray for you. You have to pray. Pastor, you come and talk to my kids. Why do you want me to talk to your kids? Because they'll listen to you, they won't listen to me. Well, what's your problem? You're the authority, you're the parent. Listen, if they're not calling me and saying, we'd love to hear what you have to say about our lives and how we should be submissive children to our parents, they're not going to listen to pastor. It's not a bad idea to come together and to have a mediator, to maybe have the youth pastor or one of our children's pastors sit with you and your kids if you want to work through an issue together. I'm not talking about that. But when it's someone else's responsibility to do your job as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got the wrong idea. Each and every one of us have a personal responsibility for our salvation, for our walk, for our lives, for our prayers, for our repentance. I cannot repent in your place. You have to repent. You have to turn from evil. There is no proxy when it comes to relationship with God. Your pastor, your parents, another person cannot step into your place with God. Now, I've also heard it said when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I guess it, you know, kind of like I had the same attitude. I guess it didn't take, right? And some people have come to me and said, well, I've had everyone pray for me. I've had so-and-so pastor pray for me. I've had so-and-so evangelist pray for me. I've had so and 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 none of it worked. Listen, guys, can I tell you something? It will never work if that's your attitude. If you're looking to man rather than looking to God, we've got a problem. Look to God. You know, there were people that didn't have hands laid on them that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke with other tongues, prophesied. That shows me, stop looking the man. It's not about Peter and the apostles. It's not about the pastors and leaders. It's not about the super spiritual in the church. Oh, let me go and see this pastor because they're the ones. They've got the holy. You know, Pastor Dan's cool and all, but oh man, these guys. Thank you, I will. But see, sometimes we get the wrong idea. Sometimes people have that same idea about their healing. Well, I went to this healing evangelist. Then I went to that healing evangelist. They were having a miracle crusade over here. And so I went over there. And I went up north to this church up there because they're known for this. Listen, guys. God, no one has the monopoly on God. God is God. He's either God or he's not, guys. He's either powerful enough that when you pray and when you ask, he will respond. Because if you can believe, then you can receive or not. And if that's your attitude... What did James say? Don't expect to receive anything from God. You believe God. You get in there and you just go after the things of God. Today, I believe that you and I all understand and know that the power of God is not a man. It's not magic. It's the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is Lord, that he came, he died, and he was raised again to life for our salvation so that our sins could be forgiven. We understand that not only there we don't stop there that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need him to fall on us. We need him to come and take control. We need him to govern and guide our actions and our lives. We need this power in every area of our lives. Also, we would all understand that we need to have the right heart. If the heart is wrong, then the man is going to be wrong. If if the heart is crooked, then the path is going to be crooked. And for all of us, as we understand these things, we know, that it's when we have the right heart, that we can readily receive everything, every good thing that comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is a good God who gives good gifts to his children. Not only salvation, but also the power of the Holy Ghost to live your life for him. Salvation is the starting block. It's where God wants you to go start from. But my goodness, to run this race, you need the power of God on your behalf. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.